Well, good morning, Johnson Ferry. Good to see you guys and great to be with you and worshiping together with you. Incredible morning of worship already. Hey, let's just thank our worship team, our sing team. Are they amazing? Just so grateful. Just what a, what a blessing it is to worship together. I miss you guys. Uh, we had a great summer as a family. I hope that you did too. We've already talked about that this is the big kickoff week, not just for our church, but of course for our schools. In our house right now, we're at the point where I'm just thinking of my kids, like, y'all need to get out of this house. Like, y'all need to do something. You're driving me crazy. So um, football's starting, got college football. Uh, right now, the Gamecocks are undefeated, so that's great. Uh, you know, hope, hope springs eternal. Um, but no, this is, a, this is a great time of year. You don't think of it like this, but at church, uh, next year, or next week is our new year, if you will. It's when everything kicks off for the fall, we're excited to see what God is going to do this fall, excited about what he's doing already, even, even in our church. I want to go ahead and plug where we're going to go in the month of August, one, so that you know about it, but two, I want you to think about who you can invite to come be a part. So next week, I'm going to start a four-week series called I'm Good, Not Really. And what we're going to talk about are four particular challenges for people who live in East Cobb or North Atlanta and talk about the help and the healing that comes. We, we live in a community where everyone pretends like, I'm, I'm good, I'm fine. And underneath, there's a lot of pain, a lot of hurt, and a lot of hurdles that we struggle with. So I want you to think about who can you invite to come be a part of this series and to see God change their lives over the next month as we endeavor in that way. Uh, today, we're gonna have baptisms at the end of our service. We've had them in every single service, which has been awesome just to see life change. And what a, what a perfect way. But let me jump into a special message today, something that's on my heart as your pastor that I really have wanted to share with you. And I wanna challenge you today in, in a particular way. I don't know if you've heard of a total body scan. Do you know what that is? They're becoming more and more popular. They're expensive because your insurance largely doesn't cover them. But more and more people are getting a scan of their entire body to see if there's cancer in their body, a preemptive way. Now, I don't know if that's good to do that every year with the radiation and everything, but people are saying, if we can, get, if we can look inside our body to see things that we can't see with our eyes, then we can know what we could address before the symptoms get too bad and it's too late. I wonder what it would be like if you could do a total body scan of a church. Not your physical body, but I wonder what God's eyes are like as he looks on us, the people of Johnson Ferry. I'm sure he sees things that are healthy, that are good, that are holy. And because we're sinners, I'm sure he sees things that are not so healthy and things that need to be addressed. As best as I can as your pastor, I have been thinking about our congregation, our church, where we're headed, how we're doing. And there's one particular area I wanna challenge you with today as we head into a new ministry year. So I've entitled this message, A Big Question for a New Ministry Year. And we're gonna get to that question in just a minute. We often talk about five areas of growth five values that every follower of Jesus needs to think about. The five are these. We need to think about our worship, not just corporately, but individually. 
We need to think about our community. Do we have it? Are we pursuing it? Are we living in it? We need to think about stewardship. How are we stewarding all the resources that God has given to us? We need to think about service. Not only the way we serve the world, but the way we serve the body of Christ. And then fifthly, multiplication. It's one thing to be a disciple. Everyone says, I want to be a disciple if you follow Jesus. But very few actually want to disciple others. So disciples need to become disciple makers. Now, all five of those are worthy of looking into and talking about. But there's one in particular that I want to address with you. And it's not because I think we are woefully insufficient. But I think it's an area that we often neglect and one that needs to be addressed. And it's the area of service. Particularly service in and through this body of Christ we call John Ferry. Now there's a lot to be said about serving the world in general, being the hands and feet of Christ all over the globe. We certainly need to think about doing that. But we often fail to take seriously what the Bible talks about when it says we have a commitment to this body of Christ called Johnson Ferry. So today we're gonna look at Romans chapter 12. And in verses three through eight of Romans 12, the apostle Paul is going to talk to us about our attitude towards Jesus and one another. And then he's gonna give us different gifts that are in the body of Christ. And we wanna consider those gifts as we ask a huge question heading into a new ministry year. So some of you may be new to the Bible. You may not know anything about the Bible. You may not have a Bible. We love that you're here. And so in this time, I wanna read for you the Bible and then talk about it and ask God to speak to all of us through his word. So if right now you would, in honor of the God who gave us this word, let's stand together. And let me read for you Romans chapter 12, verses three through eight. This is what God says to the Apostle Paul. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. For just as we have many parts in one body, and all the body's parts do not have the same function, so we, who are many are one body in Christ and individually parts of one another. However, since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to use them properly if prophecy in proportion to one's faith, if service in the act of serving, or the one who teaches in the act of teaching, or the one who exhorts in the work of exhortation, the one who gives with generosity, the one who's in leadership with diligence, the one who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Father, I don't know how you do this, but somehow every single week when either I or another preacher gets up here, you, you have a way of taking your word and talking to us collectively as a church and talking to us individually as those seeking your will. So once again, God, I ask you to do what is a supernatural act of the Holy Spirit, which is to encourage us where we need to be encouraged, to convict us where we need to be convicted. And Father, now we're sitting under your word saying, teach us. We're listening. We want to obey. 
And we'll pray that in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. You guys can have a seat. So Romans is a fascinating letter to just think about not only our individual salvation, but the way it's expressed in the church. And that's something that you should know about, that that though salvation is granted individually, it is expressed corporately. Again, let me say that salvation is granted individually. We come to Christ one by one but it's expressed corporately. God has set us into this family of God that we call the church. Not just the big C church around the world, but even a local church. And Paul here in Romans is addressing a local church or at least a set of local churches in Rome. Chapter 12 is a fascinating chapter. Really the whole book of Romans is just phenomenal. But in chapter 12, he uses this metaphor that we are to be living in holy sacrifices. Isn't that interesting? See, most sacrifices are dead. So the word picture is that you are dead to self and alive to Christ. When, when we see folks baptized at the end of our service today, that's what they're proclaiming. I'm, I'm dead to self and I'm alive in Jesus Christ. And this church is filled with those of you who have given your lives to Jesus. But once you give your life to Christ, then you are set into a family and God does work amongst his people. And so the Apostle Paul is talking about how a church should view itself and one another. Now, we're going to think today not just about church generally, but our church specifically, Johnson Ferry. And God has been so faithful to this church, has he not? I mean, this September, we're going to celebrate our 40th anniversary as a church. We're going to have a 40th birthday party uh, the last Sunday of September, and I look forward to that. But we also need to examine, are we still obeying the Lord and doing the things that God wants us to do? Do we have an attitude that is in accordance with God's will for us as a church? So let's look at this text today, and then I'm going to ask you a question, and I want you to write down the answer to that question. But first, let's look at a few verses here. Chapter 12, verse 3. First of all, the Apostle Paul says, "For for through the grace given to me, probably talking about the fact that he's an apostle. Through this authority God's given to me, this grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. The word think is given four times in that one verse. Three times you see in the English, the other time sound judgment, it's the same word for think. So he's talking about how we view ourselves. And he says, Specifically, that you are not to think of yourselves more highly than somebody else. So the command here is pretty simple, that the ground is level at the foot of the cross and that none of us are better than somebody else, even in the church. That God values all of us and we don't need to be cocky or arrogant or to think of ourselves in a way that is not becoming of the humility with which God wants us to live. So we don't want to be prideful. We don't want to be arrogant. We, we typically don't like arrogant people. We don't like it when athletes are arrogant. You, you know people who uh, score a bucket on the basketball court or a touchdown on the field, and, and they do all this stuff, you know, point themselves and all this crazy stuff, right? Like it's all about them. We don't like that. What we hope is that they get knocked 
unconscious. That's what we hope for people like that. And we don't want to be prideful. You don't want to be prideful in the church. Like, could you imagine if someone up here was leading worship? I think about, let's say, Barrett Meadows. Barrett was up here singing earlier today. He's headed back to UGA. He's been awesome on our team and intern this summer. Today's his last Sunday. Just imagine if Barrett got done singing that song and just took the mic and threw it down and walked off the stage. Imagine that. He'd be a punk. We're not to be prideful, but you know, the other ditch is that we're not to think less of ourselves in a way that belittles all the gifting that God has given to us. C.S. Lewis said that humility is not thinking less of oneself, but thinking of yourself less. So Paul is saying, hey, let's have an, an attitude of humility in the, in the church. And if you wanna know the standard, here's the standard. He says at the end of verse three, God has allotted to each a measure of faith. You know what that means? It, it probably doesn't mean that God has given you this amount of faith and you back there, God's given, you know, just a little bit of faith. Uh, God's given you a ton of faith. No, no, it means that we have a measurement by which we are to view our lives, like a ruler, a yardstick, a standard. And what is that measurement? The measurement of our faith is this, is Jesus Christ crucified. That when you think about how Jesus Christ lived his life in service of others, even to the point of death on a cross, that is the standard by which we are to view ourselves and view one another. Philippians chapter two has this beautiful, it was probably a hymn that was read in the first century, and it is a wonderful one to memorize if you'd like to. But notice this, uh, Philippians chapter two, I wanna read, read it for you. And here again, the Apostle Paul begins with talking about attitude, how you think of yourselves. Verse five, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. Well, what attitude is that, Paul? Well, then let him explain. Here's the hymn, verse six. Who as he already existed in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a bondservant and being born in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, death on a cross. For this reason, also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Isn't that beautiful? Now, he's not saying that we are Jesus. If we die, it doesn't save anyone but he's saying that there's a pattern in Jesus's life that we could emulate, that Jesus Christ being God gave up his godness to a degree when he got into this earth suit in his incarnation and came to the earth and died for us on the cross, took the sins of, the, of ours onto him. And, and in his humility, God then exalted him so that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that he is who he is. And he's saying that that should be the pattern of our life, that we are exalted not by being arrogant, but we are exalted in our humility. And a church should be known by many things, but perhaps the top of the list should be our gospel-drenched humility in Jesus. Paul says, don't think of yourselves more highly. And he says, you wanna know, you wanna know the one of the ways that works itself out in the life of a church, even here at Johnson Ferry? 
It's how you serve one another. So in verses four through six, he introduces an analogy, and I think it's a helpful one. It's the analogy of a human body. Look at this, verse four through six. For just as we have many parts in one body and all the body's parts do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ and individually parts of one another. However, since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each is to use them properly. So he uses the analogy of a human body. All of us have human bodies that are made up of different parts. You got hands and feet and elbows and noses and hair, and you got all kinds of stuff, but we don't think about you by your individual parts. We think of you as a person. Well, the same is true in a church. We have different people, but those people make up one body. And so this is a helpful way for us to think about what's it mean to be a church and what is God requiring us of a church? What a perfect analogy to think about, to think about your body and how your body works, or in the case of some of you, how your body used to work. We could think about this. So, so what does a church require? I think based on that analogy alone of a human body, we could say at least, at least these three different requirements. Number one, to be a church that, that God honors is to be a church where we focus on unity. Jesus Christ prayed in one of his last prayers that his disciples would be unified. We are to be a unified body of Christ. And you know what I've noticed as a pastor? No one ever drifts towards unity, especially the larger a church gets, and Johnson Ferry is a large church. The larger we get, the more we grow, the more we minister, the more we do, the harder it is to be unified. But God wants us to be unified in the same way that your body is unified. Number two, to be this kind of church requires diversity. In our cultural moment, we tend to think about diversity only as ethnic diversity, and that's an important thing we need to think about, that one day when we're in heaven, you're gonna see people that look totally different of different nations and tongues and ethnicities and peoples all bowing down the name of Jesus. And I do think within, within as much control as you can, we should, we should endeavor that our local church looks like heaven. But the diversity here is not just merely an ethnic diversity, but it's saying that any church, any church is gonna be made up of different people with different experiences, different ages, different giftings. Unity is not uniformity, but we need unity and we need diversity. And you know what else we need? We need dependence, that we are to depend on one another. Interesting language that he uses in verse Five, he says, so we who are many are one body in Christ and individually parts of one another. This summer, I've gotten on a Winston Churchill kick. Now, I love history. I love to read biographies. So I, I read one uh, just phenomenal book about Churchill a few weeks ago, and I started a new one a week or two ago. And I've, I'm fascinated with Churchill. He wasn't a believer, but an incredible leader. Uh, kind of a man for the moment uh, during World War II. And I was reading this little anecdote the other day about something he did when he was early in his career. He, he was a captain in the cavalry for, for England, and they had been fighting some wars in Sudan. And he was coming back through Cairo, and he was told that one of his men 
had been struck by a sword and he had a pretty nasty cut uh, that could certainly grow to him losing his arm, but he needed a skin graft. And so Churchill actually volunteered to take some of his skin to help heal his soldier. And uh, as he was asking about it, there was this little Irish doctor who was gonna do the surgery. And he said, what's, what, what's this gonna be like? And he said, the doctor said, you've heard of a man being flayed alive? That's what it sounded like. <laughs> well, top of the morning there to you, yeah. And that's what it was like, getting flayed alive. But he gave the skin to him and the man healed up. And in fact, many years later, when that man died about what I would assume are natural causes, Churchill said of that man, he said, he will take my skin with him, a kind of advanced guard into the next world. <laughs> and I think, isn't, isn't that a picture of what we're to be in the local church, that, that we are connected to one another? That, that we're committed to one another. Now, we live in a day and age where there is so little talked about when it comes to commitment to a local church. So little. And, and we live in a day and age where people don't commit to institutions of any kind, let alone the church. And so they, they tend to view church as a consumer. Hey, I like the way you talk. Hey, I like the way the music is. So I'll come to you as long as I like those things. And when there's something new down the street, I like a little bit more, I'll go there. And so that's what people do, especially in Atlanta. We got lots of great churches and people hop around from church to church to church, dating all of them, not marrying any of them. And yet when the Bible talks about your local church, it says that you are a part of a family. You are to be committed. You are a responsible member. That's why we talk about membership here, that we want you to be plugged in here. Some of you, quite honestly, need to join this church. Some of you have been waiting. I need some kind of a sign that says, uh, this, is, this is the church. Well, here's your sign, the pastor telling you, join the church. <laughs> and if you don't wanna join this church, great, go to another church. And I hope and pray it's a Jesus-loving, Bible-teaching, gospel-sharing church. And if it is, wonderful, join there. But, but lock your arms with, put some roots down. Commit yourself to being a part of a body of Christ. Because if you don't, you're like an amputated limb floating out in the middle of nowhere. I think maybe it's good to just mention how you do that here. I mean, not the whole process, but the easiest way to do is to attend one of our Discover uh, membership events. We do it the third Sunday of every month. We have them coming up the third Sunday of August. Also, the last Wednesday of August, I'm gonna be leading kind of a special Wednesday night Discover. So if you wanna join, I'd love to be a part of helping you to do that. But join the church. So here, here's the question I wanna ask you guys. I said there's a big question for a new ministry year. Here's the question. Based on all the Bible says about the body of Christ and our commitment to the body of Christ, based on all we know about being a disciple of Jesus, not just with worship and community and stewardship and multiplication, but also with service. Here's the big question I want you to think about. And in just a few minutes, I'm gonna ask you to write down an answer too. The big question is this. How am I using my God-given gifts to build up the body of Christ at Johnson Ferry. I don't mean that in just some rhetorical sense, but I mean, what's the actual answer? How am I 
using my gifts, God-given gifts, to build up the body of Christ at Johnson Ferry. You know, we did a little study on this just to think about on an average weekend, how many people does it take to pull off a Sunday? And I know we have volunteer positions all throughout the week in different ways, but even let's just say Sunday morning, when you think about people in the nursery, the parking lot, or the greeters, or volunteering in the cafe, or teaching a connect group, or you just across the board, life group leaders, how, how many does it take? What, what would be your guess? How many people do you think it takes to pull off a Sunday at Johnson Ferry? You know what the answer is? 901. You think about that, 901 people. Now, a lot of you are a part of that 901, and a lot of you aren't. So I want, I want this to appropriately challenge you who need to be challenged and encourage those of you who need to be encouraged. Be thinking about how, how am I using what God has given me, and he's given you a gift if you're a believer in Jesus, to, to build up the body of Christ. You're not just some kind of lone entrepreneur, but you're a part of a family building up the body of Christ. So, so the Apostle Paul here gives us seven God-given gifts. Now, these aren't the only gifts. This is not the only list of gifts in the New Testament. We also know that there's passages like 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4. So if we go through these and you don't see one that resonates with your gifting, then, then by all means, uh, maybe there's another gift that's not here in Romans. But these are a good subset of, of gifts that God has given to all of us. And he's given you all a gift for one reason. It's not to build you up. It's not to build your brand up. It's not to help you feel better about yourself. The reason God has given you a gift is that you might build up the body of Christ to be the mature man, as Ephesians 4 says, until the second coming of Jesus. So, so let's look at these gifts and I want you to be thinking about what's the answer to that question for me? How, how am I gonna use my God-given gifts to build up the body of Christ at John Safari? So seven God-given gifts according to Romans chapter 12. The first is the gift of prophecy. If you look at the end of chapter, verse six, if prophecy in proportion to one's faith. Now, this is the one that probably has the most ambiguity in the whole passage. Because prophecy, I believe, is not synonymous with merely preaching. And prophecy is not merely predicting the future. It's what people think a prophet is, someone who predicted what is to come, that's a prophet, no. Prophecy, I think, very practically put, is a person who speaks for God. Now, if you want to study this on your own, go and read 1 Corinthians 14. And he talks about the role of prophecy in a local church. And he says that it should be done in, in order. It should be done with interpretation. It should be done with some healthy boundaries of people pushing against, making sure it's from the Lord. So we need to be very cautious. I am always leery when I hear anyone, even a well-meaning Christian who starts a sentence with God told me. Now, maybe God did tell you. I'm not belittling that at all. I think God leads us and speaks to us in our heart. But I'd be cautious about throwing that around a lot because I think when God does speak in that way, it is special, it is to the gifted, and it's meant not for you, it's meant for somebody else. Sometimes the most practical way that prophecy works itself out in a local church is merely you 
encouraging others with the Word of God. Saying, hey, you know, I was reading the Scripture this week, and for whatever reason, just God laid you on my heart, and I just want to give this to you just as kind of a reminder of what God wants to do in your life. Sometimes that's a beautiful expression of prophecy. Prophecy isn't always some kind of crazy, like God mystically gave me a word to give to you. We just be very cautious with that. I don't think prophecy has ceased because I don't read any verse in the scriptures that says it has. We just should be appropriately cautious. But some of you are gifted with prophecy. He goes on next to say service. Verse seven, if service in the act of serving. In other words, if you're a servant, you don't just say you're a servant, you actually serve. The, the word for service here is the same word that we get the role in the church uh, of a deacon, diakonos. Deacons are servants in a general way, but a lot of you are gifted as servants. Now we're all called to serve, of course, but some of you love to serve. Some of you love to serve in ways that are often not noticed by others. And here's something I found out about service. When service is done, often no one notices. But when that same service is not done, everyone notices. Like I'll, I'll, I'll tell you some of the heroes in our church and I can go down a long list. In the last year or two, you wanna know some of the great servants of Johnson Ferry? They're people who have served in our nursery. Because I don't know everything people were doing or not doing in COVID. But I know one thing they were doing which is having babies. <laughs> and we've had a bit of a COVID boom here and, and we got babies coming to all kinds of corners in this building. And we're setting records of, uh, of, of kids everywhere. And, and we have some incredible servants who said, I'll go rock babies. I'll go change diapers. I'll go through whatever training's necessary to do that here. And they serve, they're incredible. I think about people just in a service, a worship service, what takes to pull this off? There, there are people that you never think about in this room, but I guarantee if they didn't show up, you would know it. Like for instance, these incredible men and women who serve on our production team behind cameras so that you could see me. I guarantee if they didn't show up today, you would know. And they're amazing. I mean, they do good work. They take care to do what they do. I could run over here and then run over here and they have a way of following me. You know what I'm saying? I. Uh, but see, I can't, I can't, good job, good job. Yeah, good job. Service. Uh, we could go down a long list, but, but people are gifted to do the things that often only God sees. And if you're a servant, I want to encourage you, keep it up. Even if only God sees it, keep it up. The third gift he mentions is teaching. Teaching, he says, uh, the one who teaches in the act of teaching. Teaching is a huge part of what we do. James 3 says that teachers will be judged with a harsher judgment because the words we say matter. They need to always correspond with the word of God. And we have incredible teachers here, John Safari, men and women who are gifted to teach and teach our connect groups, teach life groups with our students, teach kids, uh, women mentoring women, men mentoring men, incredible teachers. A lot of you are gifted to teach and you need to be teaching in alignment with that gifting and with the vision of the church. Number four, exhortation. He says uh, in verse eight, 
or the one who exhorts in the work of exhortation. This is an interesting word, parakaleo. That's the root word from where exhortation comes from. Para means to come alongside. Kaleo means to call out. It's to call beside, to bring to one side to help them. It's like training wheels on a bicycle. These two wheels come alongside to keep the bike from falling. When someone's gifted at exhortation, they have this unique way to come alongside you so that you don't fall. And some of you are really gifted at just being an encourager. And we need you. Barnabas was an encourager to Paul. When everyone else wanted to write Paul off because he was this terrorist who had killed Christians or at least overseen the killing of Christians, it was Barnabas who put his arm around Paul metaphorically and said, hey, he's with us. He's with us now. Be an encourager. We live in a world that struggles to think about others. We live in a selfish world. I remember going to a lunch with a guy. He was like, hey, I'd love to take you to lunch. Love to get to know you. And I said, well, that's it's kind, I love to do that. So we set up a lunch, went to lunch, and we, we talked for about an hour and a half. You know how many questions he asked me about me? Zero. And it was the hymn show for about 90 minutes. Now, I don't mind that because I like to learn about people, but I thought, is that not just our tendency to get people in front of us so we can talk about us? Encouragers put the focus on others. Be an encourager. Number five, generosity. He says, the one who gives, do it with generosity. The word for generosity here is actually a word that means um, single-mindedly. It's a way of saying that I'm giving with no motives other than simply to be a blessing to that person. I'm not giving so that you name a building after me. I'm not giving so that I have leverage over you. I'm giving for one reason, because I am blessed and I feel stronger and it is a joy for me to give. And as a pastor, I get a front row seat to see people with a gift of generosity. I, I don't know what you give. I don't, I don't, there are people uh, with the appropriate controls and authority who do know what you give so that we do things in decent good order. As a pastor, I don't know what you give. I don't want to know the dollar amount of what you give. I do wanna know that our leaders are giving and I do wanna make sure that the people who should be giving are giving, but I don't know the amount you give. But from time to time, I do get to see people who say, yeah, it's great to tithe and I wanna do that, but I wanna give above and beyond that and be a blessing. And they have a gift of generosity. Some of you are really good at making money and that's awesome. So here's what I would encourage you to do. Make a ton of money and then be incredibly generous with it in the name of Jesus. Generosity is a gift. Number six, leadership. He says to the one who is in leadership, do that with diligence or with zeal. We need leaders to be the church God wants us to be in all different kinds of ways, not just pastors or elders or even deacons, but just in various ways, we need great leaders. A lot of you are incredible leaders in the marketplace and you do almost nothing for the body of Christ with that gift of leadership. Maybe that's on us because we haven't called that out. But I want you to think about, hey God, how could I use this gift of leadership to build up the body of Christ? Lastly, mercy. He says, the one who shows mercy with cheerfulness. 
Aren't you grateful for people who are merciful? Who can come alongside of you when you're having a difficult time in life and just be empathetic and love you and encourage you and just be thinking about you. People with a gift of mercy. So you know the question, how am I using my God-given gifts to build up the body of Christ at Johnson Ferry? So what's your answer? Seriously, what's your answer? How are you using your gifts to build the body of Christ? This last week, uh, Tarek and I did something two weeks ago. It's kind of an interesting date. We'd love to go on a weekly date if we can. It's one reason I need my kids to get out of my house. But um, we went on this date, and we did something only old people do. All right, we went to an estate sale. Anybody here likes to go to estate sales? Yeah. So uh, we love it. And now I've, I've kind of become a little bit addicted to the uh, app with all the estate sales in East Cobb. Um, that's what you do when you get old. That and you get injured in your sleep. But that's a different message. Anyways. <laughs> So we went to this estate sale and we got some great deals uh, and, and came home and felt like that was a lot of fun. And then I said this to Tarek, I said, well, you know, it's amazing. Like we're in this nice house with all this nice stuff they're selling. I mean, high-end uh, bicycles and furniture and rugs and art and kitchen utensils and clothes and you name it. And I think in that entry, like this is stuff that someone saved up for and, and worked hard for and sacrificed for and now it's junk. They don't want any of it. If we take the gifts that God has given to us and we don't use them, it's like we're telling him it's junk. God has given you a gift and this is the time to make a difference. Father, we love you, and we thank you for the gifting that you've given to us. I pray that you would use it to help us make a difference for Jesus. Lord, there are people in this room who've been serving and are tired, and they need to be encouraged by the Holy Spirit, and I pray that you would encourage them to keep going, to keep serving, to keep making a difference, even when they can see the outcome and when they can't. And Lord, there's a lot of people in this room who need to be convicted. They have gifts that they're not using. They're not seeking to develop. They buried them in the ground. And I pray, Lord, you would call that greatness out of them so that, God, they might be used to serve your kingdom and to build up your church. God, we're grateful for baptism, for new life in Christ. What an awesome thing, Lord. We don't take that for granted. It's a miracle to watch conversion and, Lord, to see someone who's baptized into the body of Christ, Lord. So, Lord, we, we celebrate what we're about to see, this life change. And, God, would you give more and more and more and more and more and more of it. God, would there be people in this room today whose lives would be transformed through the power of the gospel and the saving work of Jesus. Lord, we thank you. We love you. We give this time to you. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.